following along. And as I read it earlier this week, I was reminded of one of my grandfather's uh, uh, idiosyncratic behaviours when he drove. As a young kid, we didn't have our own car, so my grandfather, Pop, would we'd come and take us for a drive, and we loved it. And the longer we could stay in it, the better. And Pop had this great driving technique. He wasn't ever sure where he was exactly going, but he knew the person in front was going where he wanted to go. And so we would just follow the car in front. And of course, every now and then, much to our delight, that car in front would turn into a private driveway. And then Pop, oh, <laughs> he didn't ever say it, but you heard his head click over, oh, I'll have to find someone else to follow now so we can get home. Of course, our great delight was when we ended up in a dead end. I mean, there was a sense of, well, what do we do now? Now, the adults in the car were never particularly delighted about this, this capacity of my grandfather, but as kids, we loved it. Yeah, to have a senior adult in that family doing a crazy thing like that almost just justified our crazy behaviour as well. It's always so good to see adults doing dumb things. You know, when you're a kid, it sort of makes you feel like, oh, there might be hope for me in a way. Now, as I read that, I'm reminded here of Paul reminding us in a way uh, that life ends in dead ends. So often ends in dead ends because of this capacity we have to just follow along. Uh, the language is kind of um, very um, otherworldish in a way. Uh, and through Ephesians, we're going to find this. Paul's talking about a battle that's going on. There's some stuff happening in heavenly realms. And it's almost outside our comprehension, being so tethered to the earth as we are. But yet this sense of Paul saying, look, that we're doing these wrong things because, in a sense, there's, there's another system operating, which isn't altogether obvious, but it's happening there. And it leads us into really bad places really difficult places. So these first three verses point to this, this reality. We're dead-ended by the spirit of the age, but as for you, you are dead in your, in your transgressions and sins, and we used to live where you follow the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. You know, as I, as I was preparing for this, I was reminded of a tragedy that occurred in Tasmania in uh, the 5th of January, 1975, and some of us are old enough to remember it. Uh, the bridge, the Tasman Bridge that crossed the Dewitt River on that late, in that Sunday evening, was hit by an, uh, an, a zinc oxide carrier, uh, the Lake Illawarra, which was heading up the river to a zinc works. And in that process, it knocked out the central pillar. And you can see that in the graphic that's on the screen now behind me and for those at home on your screen. And you can just capture in that a picture of two cars in that small highlighted area which are hanging there. Now, the accident was caused because of the inattention by the captain of that boat, by strong currents. And sadly, that boat, as it hit that, that portion of the bridge which is now missing, collapsed onto that boat and seven crew members died, were drowned. On the bridge, however, of course, it's Sunday evening, fortunately not heavy traffic. No cars actually came down when the bridge was first impacted by the boat. But subsequently, four cars driving on that bridge travelled into the gap and five people were drowned. 
One of those cars that's there pictured is being driven by a fellow named Murray Ling and his wife Helen and their two kids were in the car. And as they were driving along, Murray says he realised that something was wrong because the lights on the bridge had gone out. He had a sense and some cars which were ahead of him disappeared. And so he, he, broke, he, he slowed down. He realised there was something happening here and he ought to take, be cautious about it. And as he slows down, another car comes behind him which hadn't slowed down and hits him and pushes him towards the gap. And his is one of the two cars that uh, survives there. You know, as I was thinking about that story, uh, that moment, Murray said there were some indicators for me that I was heading into a bad place. There was something up ahead. And Paul here identifies for us in this three verses some of the indicators for us about how we ought to be aware of what's coming and take note of it. He says in these three verses, first of all, you note them. There's a progression here. He says that you were, you were in this sense, abusing the boundaries. You're missing things. He uses two words, transgressions, which is about our willingness to realise that we've done things, we've stepped into places, the same word trespasses is used, the same way that word's translated, that we've actually into a place we shouldn't be. We've trespassed. We've gone over a boundary. We've done things which we knew we shouldn't have done. And the other word there that he uses, the word sin, which has the, the deep sense of we've missed the mark. That, that here's the mark for us and we're way down here. And we just haven't. We know that. Now, I think inherently in all of us, we're aware of that. We become very aware that we find ourselves doing things we know are wrong. We have trespassed into an area. We've crossed a boundary, which even for ourselves, we I shouldn't be here. Now, sometimes that's true for us physically. I remember the first time in my memory I stole something. I'd gone into a Coles, kind of, you know, one of those sort of stores, and I was buying a water pistol for my brother for his birthday, which was a very honourable thing to do. And I put the water pistol in my pocket as I walked around the rest of the store because in my pocket was the cash and I was going to have to get that out to pay. Now, when I got to the checkout, guess what? I realised that I've just kept that water pistol, it was only a small little water pistol, in my pocket. I could actually get out without paying. Now, clearly... I knew I was wrong because I still remember that story so distinctly today and that's the worst story I'm going to tell about myself today. You'll be pleased to know. There are others, but you're not going to hear them. But, you, you know, there is a sense in that we know we've transgressed. I knew at that moment as I walked outside that store and I still have the image of myself standing outside that store and feeling ever so guilty, but you know what? It didn't move me to go and declare what I'd done and I gave my brother that water pistol. You know, I almost, well, I feel ashamed right now as I think about it. And I don't think I've ever told my brother that. So maybe I probably need to be in touch with him and, and declare uh, my, my transgression. Because that's what it was. Now, I've chosen a very childish one simply because I, you know, I don't want to go to some other places for all of us at this moment. But I say to us all, you know, which one of us doesn't know that? And, of course, missing the mark. I mean, we all have our own internal standards and yet we so often miss those standards, don't we? Let alone external standards. 
when either parents or other people have said to us, this is what you should be doing in a workplace or other place, and we just don't get there. So Paul says, that's what you're doing. Here's one of the indicators for us. And he says, all of us are doing that because we're following the rule of the kingdom of the air. And this is his underlying pattern I talked about earlier, this underlying tension. In fact, Ephesians is about this great battle that's taking place. There's almost a, an, another, an, uh, another narrative underneath, well, as Paul writes. It's a narrative about this contest between good and evil, this narrative about the contest between God and Satan being played out in the life of people, us, as, as Paul writes this group of believers at Ephesus and other places. So be aware, he's saying, because this is what's happening to you. That's why you do it. My grandfather following other people, not knowing where they're going. How much is that true about our world today? Where people commit themselves to lifestyles and patterns and ways of behaviour, just like we do, and we, we don't really recognise where that's leading us. Because we don't really appreciate the reality of the evil forces at work within our world, which impact you and me in that way. Paul says that's why this happens. That's you. You're doing that. But then you notice Paul talks about the you. Now he comes to us and he says all of us, all of us, therefore, respond into our lower nature. Doing those things which we know are not appropriate. Those the scripture talks about carnal things, those things which are very much earthly in the sense that they're not godly and they're things which are inherently, sadly bad. And we do it. We watch it. Some of us addicted to it. We know it's not right. We know it's a craving. It's an addiction. And yet sadly, as Paul says, all of us, including himself, not just now you, but all of us. And then finally in the third part of this, he talks about like the rest, we deserve of wrath. We are guilty. We deserve the punishment that we're, we're going to get because of our transgression, our sinfulness. We're following the spirit of the age. Yeah, wrath. So there's a sense of it's really not very good news, is it? And yet Paul says to us, here are the indicators of where that is taking you if you keep going that way. You keep ignoring the signs. You don't see the lights are out on the bridge. You don't stop. You keep going. This is the outcome. Dead-ended. But you see, until, until we understand the predicament of humanity, we will never appreciate the next few verses. And we'll take it for granted. And we'll just presume it's true. Or we won't even deeply appreciate what in fact God has done for us. Because see, the next part of the passage talks about these lovely two words for me. We're made alive by, made alive by God's grace. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. Do you catch the beginning of that? Two simple words, but God. But God. I'm on the bridge. I'm driving towards the precipice. I'm going to go over there into a hopeless future. But God. But God. 
We're all transgressors. We've all fallen short, but God. We've missed the mark, but God. We've been led astray, but God. We've fallen for the, we're following the cravings of this world, but God. And we're deserving of wrath, but God. I love those two words. I must admit, as a student at school, I hated those words. You know, you'd pan in the piece of work, you'd worked hard, and the teacher went, Keith, a, a very interesting piece of work, but... And then the but would come, you know, and that's the bit you saw. Or even later then, in other study or in other places, people say, oh, Keith, I really appreciated that today, but... And you're listing for that, that sentence that follows the but. Here, God turns it right around. I deserved the wrath that I was under because of what I'd done, but God. I deserve the punishment that was rightly mine because of what I'd done and the injury I'd caused other people, but God. I love the way God has turned that upside down for you and for me, but God, it is grace, says no. I bring you alive. I restore you. And that's, that's what's lovely in this. You get this movement of what God does for us. But he made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead. Reposition us in the heavenly realms with Christ in verse 6. Declaring his kindness through us, verse 7. All because of his amazing grace, verse 8 and 9. And see the pattern here? The pattern is, in fact, the pattern of following Jesus. In fact, the technical term here, and Paul uses it all the time, is being in Christ. Identified with Christ. I love the story. Thanks, Gabby. Being grafted in. That's what it's about. I'm now grafted in. I wasn't, but now I am. And see, the grafting in is, follows the, the pattern. It's by grace that, that Jesus has done this. By grace, we've been saved. And the lovely thing about that word saved there, it's present continuous. It means not only am I saved now, but I'm always saved. Because we know in this passage, the fact I'm saved has got nothing to do with me. In fact, as Brian said so well last week, and if you didn't see that message, I encourage you to, that Paul tells us in chapter 1, before the foundation of the earth, before you and I could prove anything of worth to God and say, God, I'm worthy of you taking notice of me, before any of that, God chose us. Wow. Here is God's grace at work for you and me. And you see what Paul's saying here is we've been united with Christ at his death, we've been united with Christ's res resurrection, and we've been united in Christ in his ascension. This sense of, as Paul says, and you almost have to get your head back, he's repositioned us in the heavenly realms with Christ. Now hang on, what does that mean? Except that's the reality. We are now in the position of victors, over evil forces because of what Christ has done. Not because of what we've done. Not because I've learnt some technique or some capacity or some ability, but rather because of the work of Jesus for us, in us, through us. It, it, uh, it's astounding, isn't it? That's what it is, in a sense. There's this otherworldly reality about this passage for us as we dig into it. And then finally, there's this sense of verse 7, I love this, that we'll be declaring his kindness through us. God wants to use us as his advertisements, his signage, his statements. Here, see my kindness. See this group of people, you knew what they were like. You knew what they did. And look at them now. 
And, and our history, even the history of our own church rep represents that. The people who were without hope and who deserve God's wrath now sit in a whole new place. You and me, I know my story best. And yet I find myself now somewhere else, in a place where God says, Keith, through you, I'm declaring my kindness. <laughs> Isn't that a privilege for you and for me? Then the places we find ourselves, unwittingly, even unintentionally, at other times quite intentionally, God is declaring his kindness through how you and I live out our faith in Jesus. Privilege upon privilege. As I think about it, and no doubt you do, as we think about this wonderful passage, you're reminded, of course, of, uh, of John Newton's great song, great hymn, Amazing Grace. You know, this, this man who with no background in religion at all, who after joining the British Navy, and we're talking about, what, 1772 in that era, he then comes and he... he uh, he, he leaves the Navy and joins slave trading and he becomes the captain of a slave trader. And off island on one night in a horrible storm, he gets down on his knees and says, God, if you get me out of this, I'll believe in you. Well, interestingly, which is about our humanity, he continues in slave trade for about another four or five years until he recognises he needs to get out of that. And he finally becomes an Anglican clergyman. And it's in the process of preparing a sermon for New Year's Eve that he and a colleague pen this song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And that's why we identify with it, because it picks up our stories as well, doesn't it? Our hopelessness, verses 1 to 3, verse 4, but God, but God. <laughs> and then finally, just as uh, we've... Look at it again. Paul doesn't want us to miss the fact but that, that all of this happens not because of us, not because of any good thing we've done, but because of what God's done, but then reminds us, but now there are good things for us to do. Not as a basis for our salvation, but as a declaration of our salvation. Not to earn God's favour, but to declare God's favour to other people. It's getting it right. Good works are not the source of why God favours us. No, but they're the product of God's favour of us. And so we have this, this, this privilege then in good works. He emphasises it. He says, uh, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. <laughs> Jesus made, this is lovely, recreated. It's, it's a sense, isn't it? It's, a, it's the potter taking this, this lump of clay which has turned out terribly and then recasting it. <laughs> oh, that's what's happening for you and for me. I spent these years spending my life doing things which are of no value and then, and then, I've been recast, <laughs> recreated. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. His works, the works he's purposed for us, 
the things he wants us to do. Now, as we continue in Ephesians, we're going to see that unfolded in Ephesians 3 and 10. Paul writing to this church at Ephesus, you know what? God purposes through you to declare his handiwork, his wisdom, his manifold wisdom to the principalities and powers. I mean, here's the purpose of the church laid out for us where we belong. <laughs> We're the declarers of God's love. So let me finish as I come back to that story, or that record of that, uh, that horrible tragedy on the Derwent River back so long ago. Murray Ling, as he eased himself out of the car and got his family out, he recounts that he stood there horrified as two other cars ignored his attempts to wave them down. Stop, stop. In fact, he said one actually swerved around him to drive out into that abyss. A bus coming in, hearse coming up over as well, full of people, saw him waving cars down and swerved, hit the curb, but didn't go over. As I think of Murray Ling... And I think about the good works God's calling us to do. We are survivors. We are people who know that there's an answer. That you don't have to continue in the abyss of a, of a Christless eternity. You don't have to wonder about that anymore. And like Murray Ling, my sense is, my deep sense is, we're called to be those who say, don't miss the goodness of God. Don't miss the kindness of God. Don't miss what God wants for you and for me. What a privilege in our families, in our workplaces, in our communities. Let me pray for us. Father, you know we don't feel worthy at all, but we thank you again that this passage of Scripture reminds us that it's not our worthiness, but it's your love and your grace. It's the finished work of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for all of that. So much of it, yet we still don't comprehend. But the little we do, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what has occurred for us in those heavenly realms. That you have elevated us out of being slaves and now to be enthroned. Oh, thank you, Father. And thank you now for this privilege that we are the people who know and therefore we can share so that others don't have to drive into that eternal abyss of a hopelessness without Christ. So, Father, we pray now through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that you would just empower us, encourage us as we go about the business of declaring who you are by how we live and by what we do, that we will indeed be declarers of your kindness. Thank you. Thank you for the privilege as we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.